Ecclesiastes chapter number 8, if we have that, let's stand together. We'll begin our reading in verse number 12. Verse number 12 through 14, the second part of verse 12, is really one long sentence in the Hebrew. And verse number 14 is the verse we're going to look at this evening. It's the main clause of a subordinate clause consisting of verse 12 and 13. And so let's read this beginning in verse 12. Though a sinner do evil an hundred times, and his days be prolonged, Yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before Him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. There is a vanity which is done upon the earth, that there be just men, unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this is also, this also is vanity. Tonight, as I mentioned, I want us to look at this aspect of the season of loss. The season of loss. How do we look at it? How do we face it? And how do we live right before God without losing ourself? You can lose and therefore it's a season of loss, but God doesn't want you to lose in the midst of losing something. And so, in other words, you can be a winner even during the season of loss, but we have to do it God's way. Thank you. Please be seated. To me, it's very sobering when you look around and you realize very few things in life are actually permanent. Life constantly presents us challenges and changes. Just about the time you think you have everything in order, something else happens. And our life is different because of something we lose. We can quickly lose that which makes us feel secure. We can lose our health. We can lose our job. We can lose our marriage. We can lose our loved ones. We can lose our children. We can lose our finances. There are many things in life that can be lost. If you're not in a season of loss, then this message will simply be preventative for you. But if you're in a season of loss, it's my prayer and desire that this will be therapeutic, that this can be healing. I want us to look at the reasons for the losses in life as well as the responses to the losses in life. In verse number 14, again, Solomon writes, there is a vanity. There there is a meaningless which is done upon the earth, that there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity, meaningless, he's saying. And so what he's getting across is that 
there are times when something meaningless or useless happens on earth. Bad things happen to good people is what he's saying. And good things happen to bad people is what he's saying. And he says it just seems totally useless when either one occurs. When bad things happen to good people, we ask, well, why? And when good things happen to bad people, we wonder, well, what purpose could that possibly serve? And so he concludes in verse 14, I said that this also is meaningless, useless, it's vanity. Well, number one, let's notice the reasons for the losses that we do experience in life. What's the reason for losing at all? Why do we go through a season of loss, whether it be health, job, finances, marriage, whatever the situation might be? Why? Well, here's one reason. We live in a fallen world. This is an imperfect world. Sometimes things happen to you not because you deserve it, but because of the world in which we live. Sometimes you suffer not because anything you've done, but suffer simply because you live around someone else who made a bad choice. Adam and Eve, they sinned, and the perfect environment became an imperfect world. Someone driving on the right side of the road correctly and safely has lost their life due to someone intoxicated driving inappropriately and has made a bad decision. Not only do we live in a world where there is a chain reaction of sowing and reaping, not only do you and I experience some of the things that we sow, but sometimes we just suffer because you're affected by what other people have sown. Because the world is no longer perfect. So we live in a fallen world, but not only because we live in a fallen world, but also we live in a free world. I say free in the sense that God has given freedom of choice to every individual. Now, God could stop all drive-by shootings. God could stop genocide. He could stop all wars. But if he did all of that, it means he would also have to take away your freedom of choice and if he takes away your freedom of choice and everyone's freedom of choice, then we would simply be robots. We need to understand that God's will is not always done. There is a perfect will of God that he has for every one of us, but then there's a permissive will. Now, I think there are some who've taught and believed that God has a perfect will for my life, but he has a permissive will that if I miss the perfect will, then he allows me latitude in other areas that would otherwise be considered gray areas. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God has a perfect will for your life and mine, but he is God, which means he's not bound to a colossal failure with any of us because of other people's choices that have been made that you and I are affected by. Our Bible is filled with people that God has given promises to while other people's choices have affected their life, God still showed that he's God regardless. 
But there is a permissive will. In other words, we find this in the model prayer and the disciples' prayer that Jesus gave in the, in, to his disciples when he said, we ought to be praying that thy will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because in heaven, it's all of God's perfect will. But here, we're not always seeing God's will done perfectly as it is in heaven. Moreover, that's why we suffer loss so many times because people make choices that are not the will of God. Some people try to deal with life's losses by saying, well, everything that happens is God's will. Well, it may be allowed by God and God can take any situation and work it together for good. But God has given to us the freedom to choose. God's permitted us to choose bad instead of good and evil instead of righteousness. And when people make those kinds of choices, other people suffer. In fact, the first choice that we find Adam and Eve making was out of the will of God. When Eve chose that which God said don't, and gave to Adam, and Adam listened to the voice of God and listened to the voice of his wife, and he hearkened to the wrong person. The Bible says in Genesis 3, he hearkened to his wife. That was not the will of God. And you cannot say that their choices outside of God's will affected only themselves. No, you and I have been affected as well. Why? Because God permits you to make choices. When people make those kinds of choices, other people suffer loss. We tend to believe that when we do what is right, good things are going to happen. And when we do what's wrong, bad things are going to happen. However, it doesn't always work out that way. And that's what Solomon's saying in verse 14. Sometimes you do what is right and bad things happen. Sometimes you see somebody else doing wrong and good things happen. When good things happen to you in life, that's called grace. That's you getting something you don't deserve. And when bad things happen to you in life, it's called life. Because bad things are going to happen and losses are going to come. Now you can live a godly life and you can live a Christian life and you can live life in the will of God and still suffer loss. You can think of many a person in the Bible who fits that description. Living for God, surrender to God, faith in God, walking with God. It doesn't guarantee that you'll never suffer any loss. You may be in the will of God and you lose your job. You may be in the will of God and lose your health. You may be in the will of God and lose a loved one. Maybe you came in tonight and you're very discouraged because of the circumstances of life. You're very discouraged because of a financial loss, a loss of a job, a loss of a friend, a loss of a loved one. And you're perhaps battling depression because you're wondering, why did God single me out? Did God choose me to be unhappy? I can assure you tonight that those are not the reasons for losses in life. But we live in a fallen world. We live in a free world. And God's perfect will is not always done. When some individual chooses to abduct a child 
and do terrible things to children that our society is facing right now, that's not God's will. And so we need to understand that we can't blame God for all the bad things that happen. And we can't take all the credit for the good things that happen. A father was watching his son playing out in the garden and made himself a little garden. And his dad was going to teach him some things about God and just the work of God. And so he went out there as his son is playing in the garden. And he said, Johnny, who made those flowers? And Johnny said, I did. He said, no, son, that's not right. I'll give you another chance. He said, who made that, that uh, row of vegetables that you've planted over there? And he said, Johnny did. He said, no, son, that's not right. And the dad went to bed that night trying to figure out, how am I going to help my son understand what God has done? So he thought at the breakfast table, we're going to have a discussion. He went down to the table to sit down and he saw there was milk that had spilled all over the table. And he said, Johnny, who spilt this milk? And Johnny said, God did. <laughs> Isn't that how we do it? If it's good, we take credit for it. If it's bad, we blame God. The acts of God. You've heard of that phrase, the acts of God in the insurance policy. Acts of God, they say, are tornadoes hurricanes, earthquakes, and floods. They call those acts of God. Well, they may be. I want to tell you what an act of God is. An act of God is when a lost child is found. An act of God is when you hold a baby in your arms for the first time, the miracle of life. An act of God is a marriage that is put back together when it seems hopeless. An act of God is the healing of paralysis. An act of God is when a drug addict is freed from his addiction and cured. Those are the mighty acts of God. Furthermore, we don't need to think of acts of God as being the bad things in life and take credit for the good things ourselves. Some of these are the reasons for losses in life, but not only do we see the reasons for the loss in life, but this is really where I want us just to... These are just thoughts, but I want us to look at this. What are the responses that I should have to the loss in my life? I realize tonight I don't have all the answers, and I don't think I'm supposed to. I don't think you're supposed to either. I think the secret things belong unto the Lord, but what answers He does want you to have, He's provided. And if you seek Him, ultimately that's who you need, and you'll be given that which you need. My job is not to explain the mysteries of life because there are some things we will only know once we get to heaven. I was thinking through some of these things and I thought it just more, the more I study, the more questions I have. But I'm not bothered at all not having the answers to them. It doesn't hurt my brain because... My brain is finite. His is infinite. My ways are able to be found and searched out. God's ways are not. And if we did have every question answered, that means we've missed God. The truth is he's God and we're not. And so Paul said we're going to see through a glass darkly as though we're looking through a cloudy glass 
It's smoky. You can't see it very well. And, and we will see why some things happen. However, he said, it, it just can't. It can't all come together for you until you get to heaven. And so what are the responses we ought to have when there's loss of health, job, finances, family? Number one, deal with your grief. Deal with your grief. We know losses are going to happen, so how can we respond to them? Well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus is saying, grieve. Deal with it. A person who tries not to grieve is trying to get away from God. I've seen too many funerals in a short lifespan where people do not grieve properly. You don't allow the grieving to take place as God has designed. 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years later, I've seen many practically lose their minds because they didn't grieve. When you refuse to grieve properly, you're trying to get away from God. So you don't know what I've gone through. I didn't say you're trying to get away from me. I said you're trying to get away from God. God's lost more than you've ever thought of losing. He says deal with your grief. If you've had a loss in your life, maybe it's divorce, maybe death, maybe a job. He says deal with it. Deal with your grief. In other words, don't push down grief. Don't deny grief. Don't deny that it's there. Some people think to be a good Christian, you've got to go around with a smile, giggling and laughing and joking all the time, and that if you express grief, you're not a good Christian. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The only reason why some of God's people are not finding comfort is because they're not grieving. They're not mourning the right way. Some people do not want to be comforted. Again, they're getting away from God. God is the comforter. Jesus said, I've got to go so that another of the exact same kind, the comforter will come. And when somebody doesn't want to be comforted in their loss, it's because they don't really want God. That's serious. That is serious. Jesus wanted comfort when he was agonizing in the garden and he was ministered to by the angels. Don't push it down. Don't deny it. In other words, Jesus is saying in that Sermon on the Mount, it's all right to grieve. It's all right to cry. It's all right to look up to God and say, God, I don't understand this. It hurts. He knows that. Jesus said, I thirst. Jesus' heart was broken. Look, look at the Psalms at how many times David spilled his guts to God and said, God, it doesn't look fair to me. It doesn't seem right. In other words, pour out your heart to God. Cast your burden upon Him. You don't cast your religiosity upon Him. Don't cast a facade upon Him. 
Cast your burden. Cast that which is, which is weighing you down. Cast your, your grief. Deal with your grief. If you push it down, if you repress it, if you deny that it's there, if you deny that you're hurting 30 years later, you're going to experience physical and emotional, psychological problems, I guarantee you, because you've never admitted that you are hurting and that somebody hurt you or that something hurt you and dealt with it in the God-given biblical way. The psalmist said in Psalm 62 and verse 8, Trust in Him at all times. Trust in Him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. That's, that's great. That's a preaching verse. In other words, that's a verse that preaches to you. When you're hurting, what do I do? Trust in Him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Sometimes things happen to us that actually crush us and wound our spirits. And the way back is to deal with it, to acknowledge that it's there. In other words, we've said we're, we're in a season of loss, but God doesn't want you to be a loser. He wants you to be a winner while you have lost. And the way to winning is to acknowledge it. Luke 5, Jesus said, only those who acknowledge their need of a physician are those that are going to be healed. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he said, I didn't, I didn't come to call well people. The, the ambulance doesn't go down the road knocking on the door and asking, is everyone okay? No, Jesus said, I've come to heal the sick. And they that are whole need not a physician. How can you help, get help unless you admit that you have a need or hurt? So he says, deal with it. Face your grief. Deal with, I am grieving. How long does grieving last? There is no time frame for grieving. You can't put a time schedule on it. But you can add truth to your life. And as long as God's not dead, you shouldn't be living like it. And enough, let, stop with the nonsense of you don't know what I'm going through. I don't know what any mother goes through when she delivers a child, but I still know what the Bible says about some mothers and I can tell you what God says. I don't have to experience what everybody experienced in order to let them know God is everything that you need. You need the comforter and the comforter has not lost his power. So let your little phrase go right back to hell where it came from that you don't know what I'm going through. I'm telling you, your problem is you don't know what my God can do. Right here on the front row sit two men who have lost. Lost more than just wives, but they've lost their spouses. And yet here they are on the front row. Deal with it. Deal with grief. They didn't sign up to lose their spouse to be a blessing to this church. But God has used them to be a blessing to others. Because they know something that I don't know. I want to give you a second thought tonight on how to respond. 
And it goes in line with what I'm saying with Dr. Childs and Chris Cherry sitting here and others. Draw strength from others. Draw strength from others. Galatians 6 and verse 2 commands, As a church family, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know what I think that Paul is saying is by helping each other with their troubles, you're obeying the law of Christ. You want to be obedient to Christ, don't you? You want to obey His laws, don't you? Well, then bear one, another, one another's burdens. It's been said of the church that the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. We're not here to shoot the wounded. We're not here to condemn the guilty. We're not here to put people down. We're here to lift each other up. And we need to draw strength from each other. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fell of the grace of God. In other words, I think it's my responsibility and your responsibility that we are looking at other people's lives and helping them to be able to access the grace of God. In other words, don't build a wall around yourself. Don't put up a shield around your feelings and your emotions. Let your brothers and sisters in Christ know how you feel. And let them grieve with you. Let them weep with you. Let them cry with you. Why? So that you can go through it together and that you would listen and be helped in order that you might deal with your grief. Because dealing with your grief and drawing from the strength of others is one of the great ways to get us through a time of loss. That's why it's important to be a part of the church and not just a part of the three main services a week, but also part of the smaller group, the Bible fellowship, the 915 AM, the discipleship group, the conquer series, and these other things. And that's why it's important because you need to know someone and they need to know you in this church so that when you're hurting, there's somebody you can tell, somebody you can call on, somebody you can draw strength from. And it's not unchristian, it's not a lack of faith to admit to somebody else that you're hurting, that you're going through problems in your marriage, you're going through struggles in your faith. That's not a sin. The Bible says there are times when we need to draw strength from others. So don't draw into a shell. That's why God created his body called the church. The body of Christ, our church, we need to constantly be reminded that one of our chief functions is to encourage one another. The church is building those bridges of relationships with people now before the loss comes so that when loss comes, and there will always be seasons of loss, there's a person you can think of, there's a person you can call and you say, hey, I lost a loved one this week. Or hey, I'm facing a serious time of surgery. Or I'm facing a difficult time in my marriage. There's somebody you can call. There's some group you can turn to. And so draw from the strength of others. Here's another thought. A third response. You've got to make a definite decision. Decide against bitterness. Decide against bitterness. Bitterness in its essence is blaming somebody else for what I'm going through. I'm going through this because of pastor going through this because of my spouse, going through this because nobody cared, going through this because of God. 
just blaming somebody else. Job 21 and verse 25 says, And another dieth in the bitterness of his soul, and never eateth with pleasure. In other words, he's saying some people have no happiness at all. They live and they die with bitter hearts. Now, happiness is a choice. When you lose a marriage or you lose a friend, you lose a loved one, a husband or a wife, a mother or dad, you can choose to be bitter or you can trust God and be better. The problem is there are many who don't want to be better. I think it's okay to want to be better, but just not feel like it at the moment. There were times you just, you hurt. You don't feel. But it's still not an excuse for sinning. It's still not an excuse for unbelief. You can rise and shine, or you can rise and whine. And I've seen people who have had very little bad, seemingly, ever happen in their life. People have had very little ever go wrong, and I've seen them become bitter over the least little thing that happens to them. Then there are people who get upset in the church and they've never lost a loved one to cancer. They've never known what it is to have a child die. They've never known what it is to be rejected by a mate. Everything in life has gone very smoothly for them, but somebody spoke the wrong word to them in church, so they become bitter and they're not coming anymore and they just withdraw. Happiness is a choice. And then here's another family who's had a loss after loss, battle after battle, tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And they have the joy of the Lord and they continue to walk with God. They continue to draw strength from God's Word and God's people and God's Spirit. And the whole difference is their choice. Your attitude is your choice. Hebrews 12, 15, looking diligently, lest any man fellow the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Do you know it hurts many people in your life when you're bitter? Your bitterness doesn't hurt the one you're bitter toward. But it hurts you, and it will hurt those closest to you. And so the Bible gives a serious warning. We have to decide not to be bitter. You've got to make a conscious decision. I'm not going to blame. I'm going to trust God. See, forgiveness never justifies the sins of others, but it keeps their sins from defeating us. Because bitterness is the natural reaction of a human being. And our flesh, the part of us that is natural, not spiritual, It will always want to be bitter. It will always want to hold resentment and anger. Because when we lose something, we experience a loss. And all these emotions come spilling out. Anger and rage and grief and depression and hatred and bitterness. And the Bible says you've got to choose against those things. We have to say with God's help, we can make it. With God's help, we can start over. We don't have to take the attitude, this is it. Life's over. I'll never get over this loss. I can't go on. No. But when we do choose, because we can choose to rise in the power of God, and we can decide against bitterness in our life. All right, so decide against bitterness. Now, easier said than done. How 
do you decide against bitterness? Let me give you a few thoughts on this one. Number one, here's how to decide against bitterness. Number one, accept what cannot be changed. Accept what cannot be changed. Accept what cannot be changed. If you've lived long enough, you will discover that most of the things that happen in this life are beyond our control. And you can do nothing about them. You did not cause them. You could not have prevented them. Thus, accept them and know that God is ultimately in control. Job said it this way in Job 11 and verse 15. Write that down. For then shalt thou lift up thy face without spot. Yea, thou shalt be steadfast and shalt not fear. In other words, he says, reach out to God and face the world again with courage and firmness. Reach out to God and then face the world again is what Job is saying. So, number one, accept what cannot be changed. Number two, how to keep from being bitter? Focus on what is left. Focus on what is left, not what is lost. Focus on, I didn't say forget what was lost. I'm saying focus on what is left, not what is lost. If you want to avoid bitterness, focus on what is left, not what is lost. Look at what the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 5. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. I mean, if you lost your job, do you still have your life? Do you still have Jesus in your soul? Well, start with those two things. You have life and you've got Christ in your soul. Let me get some water while you're thinking about whether or not those are good things there. I should preach a message on how you can be bitter. Maybe if that's the route you want to go. Begin to talk about a hundred things that you have not lost. There's always something you have not lost, even if that something is only your life and your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's something the world cannot take away from you. It belongs to God. Furthermore, that is why you have to have some things in life that nothing can take away. So accept what cannot be changed and focus on what is left, not what is lost. Here's another thought. Number three, determine what is really important. I'm not saying what you lost was not important, but in the sovereignty of God, God is wanting us to get clarification, clarity. Now, what is really important at this point? Jesus said it this way in Luke 12 and verse 15. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Paul said it this way. We brought nothing into this world. We carry nothing out. So if you lose everything you have tonight and you still have your life and you still have your eternal security in Jesus, then you, my friend, you have everything. You may lose your health, but you cannot lose Christ. Luke 10 and verse 17. Listen to this, verse number, verse 17 through verse 20. In fact, Brother Cherry, can you put this one up there? I want you to see this. And write this down. 
So likewise, Jesus is saying in, in, in verse, chapter 10, verse 17. 10, 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. That's pretty powerful. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Jesus says, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He is saying, All authority in heaven, Jesus says, I have it. He says, I've seen Satan, Lucifer, before he was cast out of heaven. I saw it happen. I, I know all about what's going on. I have seen the, the beginning from the end. I have all authority and I've delegated authority to you so that you don't have to be defeated. But notice in verse 20, notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Woo! And you have to determine and know that your self-worth and your net worth, they're not equal. Your self-worth is not dependent upon your net worth. In our culture, we have to remind ourselves of this repeatedly or we'll never be happy because we're putting happiness in stock of things that we possess or things that we can do. And Jesus says, but what we ought to be rejoicing in is that our name is in the Lamb's book of life. Uh, it will not matter how much we make or what we achieve. We'll never be satisfied unless we realize what is really important. Whew. I'm telling you, it would change people's lives if they just get a hold of that concept. Let me give you a, a last one here. How to keep from getting bitter. Number four, depend upon Christ. Depend upon Christ. In other words, make Him the Lord of your losses. The Lord giveth, Job said. The Lord taketh away. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all of this, Job sinned not. Neither charged God foolishly. Depend upon Christ. How can you not be bitter? How can you go through these things and these things happen to you and you not get bitter? Well, depend upon Christ. What do I depend upon Christ for? Depend upon Christ for stability. Stability. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He didn't say, I can do everything through positive thinking. He didn't say, I can do everything by listening to motivational exposés. No. There's nothing wrong with either one of those if they're related to faith in God. But motivation is not the same as faith. Faith is not the absence of bad things. Faith is not simply not experiencing the losses of life. Faith is not having cancer and saying, I do not have cancer. No, that's denial. That's not faith. 
Faith is believing in God in spite of your loss. Faith is trusting in God and refusing to give up in spite of the difficulty. Job's wife said, curse God and die. And some of you have listened to your own self say to you, curse God and die. And maybe some of you have even fallen to that temptation. Why would you curse God? What did God do to you? What, what did God do to you? Are you saved? Is your soul saved? Your sins forgiven? You have eternal life? Quit being so selfish. Well, I lost. Lost my health. Well, what did you have before God gave you health? I lost my spouse. Well, who did they belong to before they belonged to you? Amen. I lost my child. So did the father. Amen. And he's not bitter towards you. I say he's not bitter towards you. Amen. Depend upon Christ for stability. Remember in Bible college, Dr. Childs Quoting this verse, Isaiah 26, verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Verse 4 goes on to say, Trust ye in the Lord Jehovah. He is able to keep you in perfect peace. Why do some people seem to be a basket case? Not why are they crying? Crying is part. When God squeezes the heart, it's got to come out somewhere. But the basket case of a roller coaster, don't know what you're going to get. You say, how are you doing? And they want to curse you out. They want to bite your head off. Where does that come from? They're not stayed upon God. Their eyes are not upon Jesus. You need to depend upon Christ for stability. Then depend upon Christ for strength. Psalm 46 and verse 2, Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. In other words, he's saying God has not changed. His power is still available to every single one of us. Then depend upon Christ, one last thing, for salvation. Make Jesus not only the Lord of your losses, make him the Lord of your life. Remember the disciples in the boat? They were experiencing crisis management issues. Carest thou not that we perish? Hey, the only way that was going to happen is if the boat went down. If the boat went down, Jesus was in the boat. That's a pretty good place to be. The key to crisis control is Christ control. The disciples, Master, don't you care? Well, the problem was he was the master of the sea, but he wasn't the master of them. Think about it. I want to ask you this question. Is Jesus the master of your ship? Is he the captain of the vessel of your life? Is Jesus Christ present in your heart and your life? The key to Christ's control is Christ. Control. The storms may come. Many things may be lost. But there will never be loss 
of that most precious thing. Because the only way your life will go down is if Jesus goes down. And you cannot kill the one who is the resurrection and the life. Let's stand together, please.